Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 150 Yay. of the Rewatch Project with Hannah and Mike. I'm Mike, and with me, as always, is Hannah. How are you on this 150th episode? It's an auspicious occasion. Excellent. Why not? Why not? Well, am I excellent? I don't know, but let's go with excellent. Yeah, let's go with that. Uh, we apologise again for tonight's <laughs> background noise is... Um, Brought to you by New Zealand Winter. Yes, where the uh, Pacific, uh, South Pacific weather is getting a little bit uh, excitable tonight. So if you hear rain and it's bloody uh, cold, yes, it's it's uh, the screen doors are slamming tonight. Mm. So, uh, but it's quite nice. It's quite cozy. Um, so we will uh, settle down and watch a little bit of television and uh, discuss it. So, uh, what television are we watching tonight? Hannah? We are watching the series finale of Parks and Recreation. We are season seven. Yep, season seven, episode 12, called One Last Ride. Alrighty. Synopsis says, as the team gathers one final time before they go their separate ways, we look 10 years into the future for each team member. Excellent. Uh, And when was this first on television? This aired on the 24th of February, 2015. Excellent stuff. And and who, who are the key creatives on this? Um, so this episode is directed by Michael Schur, who yep. is also one of the creators. Yep. Um, it was created by Greg Daniels and Michael Schur, and this episode was written by Michael Schur and Amy Poehler. Cool. Okay. Um, and this is one of our Sorbet episodes, so uh, uh, for any people who are coming here for the Parks and Recreation of it all. Here on the Rewatch Project, we do rewatches of franchises, TV shows, movie series that we are fans of and reflect on them and talk about our experiences with them. We are actually nearing the end of our coverage of the TV series Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We've just finished the sixth uh, penultimate season of that show. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we do between each season of a long-running show that we cover, um, we are doing what we call a number of sorbet episodes where we pick out sort of... Uh, key TV episodes or TV miniseries or other bits of pop culture goodness. And we discuss them just to kind of blow the cobwebs off before returning for the the next and final season of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So that's what we're doing tonight. Mm -hmm. Um, A couple of quick bits of housekeeping before we hit pause and watch uh, Parks and Recreation. Um, We appreciate feedback at rewatchprojectpodcast at gmail.com. We also um, can be reached through our YouTube channel. So uh, you can leave us comments there. Or you can reach out to us on Instagram and Twitter, where in both cases we are at Rewatch Proj. Quick reminder to check out our French shows, namely Chisrek vs. Punter, uh, which is 15 years old today, uh, which is kind of crazy. Um, and also um, his film, her movie, uh, Film Bastards, uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Odd. Um, ooh, what else is there? Entertainment Landfill and. Uh, talk with that rhythm podcast so please check those out as well and we uh last but not least we appreciate uh reviews over at apple podcasts formerly itunes podcasts and also on spotify so um with that in mind hannah do we have any feedback for this evening we do um so i'll read the youtube comments first that on our last episode time cop aha silver surfer um, have you ever seen Frequency, fantastic time travelish story with Dennis Quaid and Jim Caviezel? Yeah. It's awesome and worth a watch. Very moving film, that is. I have not seen that. No, it's, a, it's a good 
sort of underrated. There were a few films like that in the 2000s. There was, there was the, the sort of sci-fi and genre movies that kind of slipped past. Mm. And uh, that was one of them. I remember that being one that um, um, it felt like it was better than it should have been. It was one of those. Uh, he goes on to say, so glad you mentioned Dark Horse Comics. Few fans know this is a comic book movie, just like Weird Science is based on an old comic. And even dramas like From Hell, Road to Perdition and A History of Violence mm. are adapted from graphic novels. Because people assume, of course, that all graphic novels are genre pieces. Mm. So things like Road to Perdition, it surprises people when they hear that. It's a little bit like when people find out that Stand By Me was based on a Stephen King. Yeah. You know, um, in Shawshank Redemption. In Shawshank and the Green Mile, you know, it's yeah. it's it's funny how um, people Seems make these assumptions. Very bizarre for him. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it kind of isn't because no, it uh, makes sense. You know, I mean, if you it's, if you look at it, and then if you look at Stand by Me, it's no surprise that they were written by the same people. They've got the same themes of you know generational trauma and childhood and adolescence and all that kind of stuff. It's just that one of them. Um, is about a bunch it's of kids crazy looking for a body, and the other one it happens to be a horror story. You know, um, we also have an email. Oh, okay. Entitled "Me Again." Hi, both Helen from Wales here again. Mm. Really enjoyed your Modern Family episode. It is so rare that people talk about sitcoms on film and TV podcasts, so this was really refreshing. I agree that Modern Family was a really interesting halfway point between the modern Curb Your Enthusiasm slash Office type shows and the more traditional sitcom. Mm. It really hits the sweet spot for me. It's a bit like Parks and Recreation yeah. um, in that it has a modern sensibility but still has the kind of it turns out all turns out okay in the end vibe that is such a comfort with uh, with the more old-fashioned, canned laughter, studio-bound comedies, which Big Bang Theory kind of feels like the last of in many ways. Mm. Have you guys reached the paperclip story arc on the X-Files yet? I am re-watching it too and just watched those episodes and forgot how amazing they are. You must be around there now, right? Keep up the good work and look forward to your Parks and Rec episode. Helen. Thank you, Helen. Thank you, Helen. I think the sitcom thing is interesting because... Um, yeah, people don't talk about sitcoms very much. No. It's, and I think part of it is so much of geekdom has historically has been driven by men. Mm. And that's not to say that the sitcoms are a female genre, but it's almost as though, um, and there's no reason why they shouldn't elicit the same level of conversation because their cultural place is huge. You know, particularly mm. if you go back in history, I mean, sort of the, I mean, radio, you know, so it's one of the oldest situational comedies, one of the oldest entertainment genres. I mean, it goes back to, to you know, Christ, it goes back to Shakespeare. So it is funny that people don't talk about that. And this and this idea, and I think we did talk about this when we, we talked about Modern Family, that Modern Family definitely felt like a refinement in the way that you did start yeah. to have these more cynical, edgy comedies like The Office and Kirby Enthusiasm, which really were influenced by the films of like Christopher Guest mm. and Rob Reiner, like Spinal Tap, Spinal and, Tap yeah. and a lot of the films that people like, you know, Eugene Levy made, mm. you know, um, and, oh gosh, what's the actress from uh, Schitt's Creek? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. The mum from Home Alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they did a lot of films together in the 70s and 80s um, mm. that created this kind of docudrama thing. But I think the thing that Modern Family and, uh, like Helen said, and Parks and Rec do, is 
they use the dressing, the stylistic conceits of the more cynical comedies. But ultimately, comedy-wise and structure-wise, are very similar to your traditional, um, you know, two-camera, um, traditional American sitcom. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's, um, that's one of the reasons why I think Modern Family did well. And it is odd. It's a good point, actually, about how... I don't know does, if that if the new How I Met Your Father or How I Met Your Dad, the, the How I Met Your Mother spin-off. I watched a few of that, and I can't even remember if that's got candle after or not. But it does feel like um, big. the Big Bang Theory was probably the final big cultural impact traditional sitcom. Yeah. I can't imagine now a new show starting that's popular that is, you know, filmed in a studio and has kind of laughter. I just can't imagine. I just feel like we're we're so cynical now as a society that I, we've got past that now. I, I mean, think. they still get made, but they're just, they don't have the impact that they used to. Well, I think that they're probably just, they don't make it out of America, really, yeah. as far as terrestrial television goes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, paperclip. Oh. Yeah, we're really nearly there, actually. That's a story arc that starts... Um, at the end of season two, and it's funny because we watched. Um, I'm saying this to listeners last night because, of course, you know, we watched Humbug last night, which is an episode written by Darren Morgan, and that's the first episode where you really start to see them starting to bring more comedic elements into the show. Mm. Um, and there's a great uh, um, moment. It's in like that. a little Twin Peaks reunion. Well, yeah, yeah, and and but it starts to deconstruct the show a little. Like they start to make fun of Mulder a little bit for comedic purposes. And there's a great moment in that episode that was unscripted when Gillian Anderson eats that bug. Yeah. Um, and there's some great behind-the-scenes footage because you see Mulder's reaction. And um, the director of photography dared to do it. He's like, no, you won't eat a bug. She's like, yeah, I'll eat a bug. And they're in the scene. And she just picks it up and you see David Duchovny's reaction. And they cut the cut and he's just like, I can't fucking believe he just ate that bug. <laughs> she's just like, eh, you know, what, 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 what do you mean? But, um, but yeah, yeah, so we, we, I think we're... Because I've forgotten... There's 25 episodes in season two of The X-Files. Mm. I mean, that's insane. That's a lot. So we're, it's like, so we've still got a bunch left. and we're. What in, number are we on? I think we're on like episode 20 now. So it's like there's still like five episodes to go, which is insane. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, we're nearly there. And uh, we'll let you know uh, when we have. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, cool. Okay. Well, um, thank you. That's the last of the feedback, I assume? Yeah. Uh, thank you for that feedback. We appreciate it. Thanks, Keep Helen. Keep your emails coming. Yes, rewatchprojectpodcast at gmail.com. We're now going to hit pause. We're going to watch the series finale of Parks and Recreation, and then we'll come back and we will have a conversation about it. Have you ever wondered what so called family films will scar your kids forever? Putting four and five year olds in front of this movie, it's like, if they didn't know what death was before this, they're going to know it after it. They're going to know it after it, and they're going to be freaking terrified. They're going to be questioning you. Yeah. Or do you have the slight suspicion that your loved one has a cold, dead heart? Yeah, The Dark Knight has got like all the orphans, and like, oh no, we're going to die. They did not build up those orphans at all. In my head, it's like, kill them. Then look no further, the His Film Her Movie podcast is the show for you. It's the movie podcast that celebrates the contrasting cinematic tastes of its hosts. So join Jordan and Lauren every week on their unique journey through the land of the silver screen. So if you're looking for a few laughs, some fun film-related chat, then get involved. 
You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. So we've just finished watching the series finale, the final episode of season seven and the show itself of Parks and Recreation. So, uh, Hannah, this was your pick. Do you want to tell us a little bit about why you picked this and um, what your thoughts were on this rewatch? Well, I picked it for two reasons. Firstly, I like the the time jumping conceit that they use to show what happens to the various main characters. Mm. Um, I think it's really well done. And it's a bit like an hour-long epilogue, which is my favourite kind of You thing. do like a good epilogue, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I do. I love an epilogue. Um, so uh, it's right up my street. Um, and Parks and Recreation is one of my favourite TV series of all time. So to have more time in that world um, – and um, re-experience it was lovely. Um, and I watched the I watched that episode lots. Um, I specifically love uh, Ron Swanson's bit. Mm. The the look of glee on his face when he's in his <laughs> on the lake. It's just a thing of wonder. What about you? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I mean, obviously, the thing about picking you know, an episode of a TV show, you know, whether it's the first or the final or whatever it is, obviously it gives you an opportunity to talk about the show in general, mm-hmm. you know. And obviously a final episode does that as well because it wraps it all up. But it's it's funny because Parks and Rec is an interesting show because, I mean, obviously it came out of The Office, yeah. you know. I mean, it's the same creatives and, you know, some of, uh, you know, some of the cast recur and all that kind of stuff, like Rashida Jones, for example. Um but it's interesting how it kind of course corrected itself because that first season of the show was a little bit more cynical and a little bit more like The Office. And it's as though the show took on a life of its own. It's like the show showed the writers what it needed to be. Yeah. You know? I and- mean, the first couple of episodes, people sort of out and out despised Leslie. Well, there was a meanness to the show mm. that quickly disappeared. Yeah. That yeah. just didn't fit it. And it's as though the show established its own. Because, I mean, what's the – and I might be just having a bad memory here. Is the documentary element of the show ever explained? No, I don't think so. Because, obviously, in The Office, you you know that they're doing a documentary and you see in the fight, you know, the later episodes that they actually – it gets completed. I think it's just a conceit that – that they use. Yeah, like, like they, so they're yeah. just like, we're like, well, we made The Office, let's make this in the same style. Is yeah. that the... Uh, um, okay. Well, I mean, that's obviously a notable element of it as well, is the fact that it, it was very much made in the mould of that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we've talked before about how, you know, um, Modern Family uses that as well to a certain extent. I think that was just a fashionable thing at the time, I guess. Well, in Modern Family, it was supposed to be explained that um, they were doing interviews for a Swedish exchange student that Phil and Claire were hosting. But... They just abandoned that, didn't they? yeah. That never made it to the screen. It's not necessary. No, no. uh, But it's interesting, I think, in the future, people will look back and be like, what was all that sort of mockumentary thing about? And, of course, you know, found footage films as well. I think it was just... They don't... They don't talk to camera. 
No, but they me. but they look at the camera and the way it's shot, the way the things go out of focus mm. is it's you're right. I mean, they they don't discuss it, be but they break the fourth wall frequently. Mm. Yeah. I mean that's unquestionable. Yes, surely. But, but they, but they, yeah, they don't sit there and have like a talking head. No, 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 no. Yeah. Um, but so, so there's that element to it as well. But I think the thing about Parks and Rec that I don't think was ever the plan was kind of the sweetness of the show. Mm. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why um, it still continues to resonate with people and find new audiences during COVID. You know. Parks and Rec and The Office and Friends and a lot of those sitcoms, you know, became really popular again during COVID mm. because of the sort of, I guess, the, uh, you know, the comfort watch element of to the it. real world. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But, but I think for me, clearly the strongest element of Parks and Recreation was the casting. Oh, 100%. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, that would be quite an expensive cast to put together now, mm. you know, and really... In that first season, Rashida Jones was probably the most well-known person in the show. Yeah. At that point, before Rob Lowe came into it and yeah. uh, Adam Scott. I mean, he wasn't until season three. three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I think it is interesting. that, and, and the other thing, of course, as well, is the workplace comedy. That element as well yeah. was a big thing at the time. You know, this idea. And, you know, that started, with, obviously, you know, with The Office. But... I think the thing about Parks and Rec is that, it, first off, it's one of those shows where you kind of have to tell people to sort of get through the first season, a bit like The Office, mm. the American Office in some ways, uh, the, for different reasons. But. I mean, uh, the the first season of The American Office, I started watching the pilot and I just abandoned it. And I, if I ever do a rewatch on The Office, I always start at season two. I never go back to season one. Season one of Parks and Rec is better than that, and yeah. I think needs to be viewed because you see the beginnings of the Leslie and Anne's um, friendship yeah. and and the original park that kind of um, brings it all together. Yeah. You know, the pit. Is the what, pit. Know. But 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 I think that um, what makes the show the show isn't really there in the first season immediately. No, 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 no. Or it's the things not. That, that would be commandeering about the show. But they're things that have to grow anyway when you sort and, of like And that I think that's the most satisfying thing in season one is that you do see the season grow. Yeah. Um you see the characters develop. You see the writers kind of catch on a bit more to what it should be. And as you go into season two, it's it's really strong. And I think the other thing as well was it was a great show at catching zeitgeist stuff, like the the things that it did around social media and um, this sort of culture, you know, like the Firefest sort of uh, yeah. world of yeah. influencers and a lot of the stuff From it did. Heverford yeah, a lot of the stuff it did around that. Yeah, yeah. You go it, around twice. It, it, it was the first time that we saw all of these things being represented in pop culture. Yeah, you know, um, but but I think that it, it one of the joys of the show is seeing it kind of organically become mm. and find itself and um, you know realize that and you know Amy Poehler as well of course 
you know, it was a vehicle for her. You know, she'd done Saturday Night Live and a lot of stuff as well, but she was a writer on the show. She was a very creatively involved in the show as well. Yeah. Um, you know, and her ascendancy kind of happened in tandem with like t- people like Tina Fey was doing 30 Rock. Yeah, uh, and as I mean, well. they're and, very close to each other. Yeah, and, and it feels like there was a little bit like what you had in the 70s with, you know, um, Bill Murray and John Belushi and Dan mm-hmm. Aykroyd and all these people and Chevy Chase all coming out of Saturday Night Live and kind yeah. of, it felt a little bit like them and there was other people who aren't in this but who, you know, like Will Forte and, you know, yeah. the, the, um, and um, Will Ferrell. I would never Ferrell forget and, Will Forte um, guesting on the episode with the time capsule. Oh, he is in it, isn't he? Yeah, yeah you're yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, I've forgotten. I and when, he, when he's chained to the radiator and he goes... We open on crystal clear water. <laughs> a deer. Um, he's talking about the Twilight movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, who also can, you know, can forget him in that recent episode of The Last of Us <laughs> as the survivalist guy. It was so funny. I was listening to um, TV Junk, which is a film junk podcast, but they do. They reviewed all of uh, The Last of Us. And they got to the episode and they were all, or every single one was like, did you think that was Will Forte and playing that guy? And I was like, see, it isn't just me who thought that. You're all dumbasses. <laughs> but they were all saying that they couldn't take the character seriously because you know how Will Forte sings stuff like MacGruber? Yeah. He plays it straight. Yeah. And it's only the fact that you know it's Will Forte that's making it funny. Yeah. You know, so it was like that. It was almost as though he'd infiltrate in the same way that Whenever I watch The Doors, I always imagine that Ray Manzarek, the Karma Clacken character, is Cooper undercover, like mm-hmm. as a drug sting or something. And once you think that and you watch it, it kind of works because he's so Cooper-esque in the film. But uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I just, let's go through the episode because there are things in there that I think are good springboards to um, talk about. So, I mean, the, the conceit of this episode, and it's funny because I remember thinking this at the time because there was a, I can't remember, was it one of the chat shows in America, did a had the whole cast on mm. like the night after this aired, and it was like is a that the one where um, who plays April Aubrey, Aubrey Plaza, Plaza yeah. um, and the guy who plays Gary mm. um, like absolutely snogged the faces oh, yeah, off yeah, yeah, each yeah. other yeah. at the very end. <laughs> I like I I will never forget that moment. It was so unexpected, <laughs> but it was it's the um, the on that they were talking about how. And I remember thinking this when I watched the actual show and had it confirmed on that, that the, the, the primary influence for this was the final episode of Six Feet Under. Yeah. Um, and the whole idea of Six Feet Under was every episode, because they were undertakers, would start with a death. Mm-hmm. It would be the death of the person that they were going to be the undertakers for that. And then the final episode was the death of every one of the main characters. Yeah. So it jumped through time mm. and you just got to see how they all died. Uh, and it was very depressing, as you'd imagine. But and they said that they came with the, the, the that they wouldn't do that. But then they said that Chris Pratt pitched to them, "Why don't we go full six feet under and see them all dying?" Because I think that Andy should die because he gets left in a car that's too hot, yeah, like, like a, a dog. dog. Yeah. And I thought that was a wonderful idea. That, yeah. I, that makes perfect sense to be how Andy would die yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. when that was to happen. Yeah. But but they this idea of following the characters and it harkens back to the classic. National Lampoon's Animal House thing over the end credits that we've seen emulated a million times where it'll be like 
the kettle pours and then you have the character about how they became the state senator or yeah. you know and it tells you about where they all went it's yeah. kind of taking that conceit and um just un- yeah it. just yeah. A sort of a, a, unpacking it mm. so we do that and we follow uh all of the characters i love how they how they kind of intersperse the smaller characters within it and uh like there's a like a meme thing that came from the John Ralphio clip, but it doesn't make the final cut in the episode, so you don't know it's from that. But there's there's footage of John Ralphio and his sister tiptoeing through the cemetery, going "Don't be suspicious, don't be suspicious," and like it goes on and on. Mm. Um, and it's quite clearly from that. that but it, they just, were, it was and, just a bit of improv. That yeah, they did, yeah. That didn't um, make it in. But it's it's really really good, and I think about it quite often <laughs> when you're trying to be quiet, <laughs> yeah, sneaking around the house at night, not waking up And I also like the idea that the thing that's linking this is Ron fixing the swing, mm. because one of the things as well that is that the show is kind of an ode to work. Yeah. So the idea of work and the fact that work, we most people think of work as just being this sh- shitty thing that you've got to do so you can live and have your life. Mm-hmm. But what the show says, and this is a really kind of unfashionable view to have in these cynical times, is that work's really important because it gives you meaning, it gives you something to do, it's how we forge our relationships. And work only has as much meaning as you imbue it with well, and it's her, like Leslie Nope says, it's work worth doing. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. It, but you have to make it worth doing. It's not yeah. going to do it for you, no. you know. And it, it, and when we talk about workplace comedy and situational comedy, a lot of the time the work is just the like a background. Yeah, like I'm, I keep trying to get Hannah to watch Mythic Quest, and I'm a, the, a big part of my pitch is it's no more about video games than the office is about paper, mm. you know. Um, but one of the things that, with Parkinson Rec, though, uh, Parkinson Rec, is that the work isn't just for dressing. No, it, it's, it is actually, it's essential. And the other thing that Parkinson Rec talks about a lot, and I like the fact that they get a little moment of this in at the end with how just ungrateful the guy is mm. when he thinks that he's. Well, he's in the first episode. Yeah, he's but, in but, the pilot. but he's just how thankless that type of work yeah. is. Like one of the yeah. things that Parkinson Rec does really well is the idea of civic work and having to respond to the foibles of mobs of idiots yeah. who don't know what they want, can't agree, don't understand the complexity of it, and you having to just smile mm. and go through that. You know, all the town hall meetings that you get in the show, yeah. and the absurd, like the, um, the, what's the episode you were talking about a the minute time ago? The time capsule. The time capsule one. Mm. That's a great microcosm for anybody who has ever worked in the public sector. Yeah. You know, because yeah. you, you, all, your job is to keep these people happy. Um, but a lot of the time, they're imbeciles. And, I mean, when Leslie is on the um, town council and she gets recalled basically through a smear campaign that's, that's nothing to do with her. Yeah. It's just, you know, people being dickheads. And often the people who are interested enough to actually go to town hall meetings are the last people in the world whose opinions you would actually want to put in your stuff. Yeah, of course. 
Yeah. Because if they were normal functioning people, they would have better things to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a generalisation, of course. And but it is pretty true. But, you know, you, you do tend to sort of mm. see that. It's, it's a like, thing for a reason. It's why most feedback is, is negative feedback because, mm. it's, it, you know, it motivates people. But um, so, so it's funny because I forget as well that the present day in the final season was the future when the final season was on, wasn't it? Because mm. there's a time jump. So... The, the present day in this episode is 2017, but it actually aired in 2015. Yeah. So now watching this in 2023, when some of it's set, mm. you have to, well, one has to remind oneself about that, you know, because obviously you've got to have fun with the technology yeah. and stuff as well. You know, like even at the time, we knew that that wasn't realistic future. No, tech, exactly. But they were like, well... We're a comedy show. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And they had to get the whole grizzle thing in there. Yeah, somewhere. yeah, exactly. Um, so we get all this, we get Donna's future, and I've got to admit, I, I like. I think it's a great ensemble, but I think that Donna and April are probably the two characters out of all the main cast that work for me the least. Right. I think that Donna is just not terribly interesting as a character, um, and I really have never massively got on with Aubrey Plaza. I feel like her character is just a bit one note. And almost feels like a secondary character that somehow got to the top. Mm. Not a deal breaker. And in any of the show, they'd be great. But I just think that there's so many great characters in this show that I feel that if either of those two characters, for whatever reason, in, uh, I feel like Rashida Jones and Rob Lowe leaving the show was more of a loss to the show than if either of those two had gone, mm. personally. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I I like both of the characters. Oh, I like them. Um, I think if Donna didn't have Tom and the whole treat yourself thing, mm. well, I feel like I don't. I think that Donna and Tom, I don't think she really brings anything that he isn't there. I mean, I like the idea of her character. I like the the idea of the fact that you know she's got like this huge amount of confidence and he's like super confident. I think that's a great. Mm. Um, you know, role model and conceptually a great character, but I just don't really see what she brings comedically yeah, to the show I, that I much. I think she brings stuff to it, but um, uh, um, April, I think, is very much saved by her relationship with Andy. Yeah. Like. I think Aubrey Plaza is a great actress. Yeah, I do too. You know, um, but, but, I've, 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 but I, I say that based more on other things that I've seen her in. But like, if if that hadn't happened, there wouldn't have been a lot to do with her. You know. Yeah. She kind of had to hook up. Well, with I think someone. that both her and Andy's characters. Um, I think I think Chris Pratt's character works better for me. Purely on a comedic level, as a, as a but I think that they but both it was a really smart move to put them together. Yeah, a hundred. You know, and I think that when you've got a cast and things change and people move around, it's about finding dynamics. And I think that there are there are a few. There's always a few characters in the large ensemble that if they don't find a new dynamic, um, and I can think of loads of shows where that's the case. Like for example, I think Star Trek's a good example. Deep Space Nine. I think that the characters of O'Brien and Dr. Bashir came alive when they realised that they were pairing those Put two characters. Yeah. And it was one of those, there was no, and that didn't happen until a couple of seasons in. They were just mm. in a couple of episodes together and people were like, oh, there's kind of a weird 
dynamic chemistry thing going on yeah. here. And both characters benefited from that. Mm. And I feel like um, Donna and um, April and, and April both um, got lucky <laughs> in, yeah. in some ways. Um, and may, maybe maybe Gary or Jerry, you could kind of include in that a little bit as well. But I mean, he, Jerry, Jerry is really more of a incidental kind of character. Yeah, he's like it's a not, he's like a top tier secondary character, yeah, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. So so it's it's not as but there'll be some, there'll be times with April where she'll be doing her kind of like angry goth girl, but you know underneath she's got a heart of stone, and I'd, yeah, I I find that a little bit tiresome sometimes. But I think maybe it's just because. I've known Aprils in my life, mm. and it's always a little bit kind of like, look, okay, you know, take your Cure albums and your bloody daddy issues, and you know, <laughs> it's a bit kind of it's like you're not impressing anyone. Um, but all right, Shania. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I remember there was no. I'm not going to go there. So that's getting personal. But um, so the. Even the secondary characters, like Billy, is he Billy Eicorn or Billy Icorn who plays Craig? I love his one. Um, I love when Typhoon sends the wine over and, and instead of being excited, he's just like, all right, fine. Yeah. Ugh, and, and, if I but, have to. I mean, he's like just written and directed a, um, like the first mainstream gay rom-com, that bros. Yeah. So, I mean, his career is doing really well as well. Absolutely. And I think that, I, th- I just feel like, this is a show in the same way that things like movies like Caddyshack mm. uh, and the Blues Brothers and National Lampoon's Alamo House, where comedy geeks and pop culture geeks in 30 years' time will look back at Parks and Rec and just see this kind of creative soup yeah. of all of these people, these writers, and, you know, many of them are actors and writers, and, you know, I mean, uh, Aziz would go on and, you know, do Masters, Master of None, is that Master what it's called? Of None. Yeah. Um, and these were all people who, uh, Mindy Kaling, is that her name? Yeah. From The Office. Like she, th- these are people who um, were part of an ensemble in a TV show, but there's so much more to them as mm. um, talents. Um, and you know. Scott. Um, yeah. You know, I, in fact, Parks and Rec wasn't the first thing I saw Adam Scott on. Well, no, um, but... It, Party, party Down yeah. was the first thing I saw him uh, in. Well, that's just come back, hasn't it? There's a new season of that. Is there? Yeah. Oh, um, he was so but, Well, he's in the, the new season of that. But, but uh, he, he was quite a get for them at the time. Yeah. You know, and um, the and Rob Lowe as well, you know. it's And this thing, I mean, Rob Lowe's he character's not literally. really in this one. But he's, uh, Rob Lowe's character's fantastic. I mean, he's got an almost, um, I've compared him a lot to, he's got almost Agent Cooper kind of vibes. Yeah. You know, I love it got, when he gets flu and looks at himself in the mirror and says, stop pooping. <laughs> Just willing himself to, yeah. uh, to be better. Yeah. But the, uh, for me, though, the two funniest moments in all the Parks and Rec, the hardest I've laughed watching a sitcom in probably the last 20 years are the get on your feet moment. Oh. <laughs> and also yes. when... Um, God, I'm terrible with characters' names. Uh, when Tom is trying to get the doctor to say that Gary had a fart attack. <laughs> I did like that. Fucking hell. It's the timing of the delivery uh, of it is... Uh, um, <laughs> the get on your feet part. Uh, watching Ron Swanson slip on ice yeah. was really amazing. Yeah, yeah. To, to take a sort of 
shot at the dignity of that character. Yeah. So we get the April and Andy stuff as well. I love the, for me, one of the best bits of writing this episode is when um, Adam Scott proudly declares that uh, um, Cones of Dunshire was reviewed as being punishingly intricate. <laughs> Winds of Tremora. Yeah. Um, but that's one of those, those... The episode where he plays the Grizzle executives yeah. um, is kind of amazing. But the naming... Especially when he goes, booyah, at the end. <laughs> the, 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 the naming of all of the, the, the mythology elements of the Cones of Dunshire, it's one of those things that's ridiculous but kind of believable in the same way of thing, things in Galaxy Quest, like the Sons of Morval. Yeah. You know, you kind of like, <laughs> yeah. um, you could imagine Worf being like, you know, oh, the Sons of Morvan. Yeah. <laughs> like, so we see that Andy wants kids and the, the, the main, that's the main part of their storyline, yeah. of their, their wrapper. And, um, and and this is an interesting thing as well, because the the, the different ways that the, the characters interact with the camera tells you so much about the characters because if you look at Adam Scott, all the characters that look at the camera, and not all of them do it, mm. um, do are ultimately it's it's an act of complicity mm. with the audience. Yeah. But the way Adam Scott uses it is as if to say, I'm the only sane person in the world. Yeah. You know, like Jim, guy, for fuck's sake. Would do it all the time. You know, yeah. Mm. Um, but the what but Chris Pratt does it like his buddy. Yeah. You know, it's like a, am I right? Mm-hmm. You know? And it, it it's really smart that the directors, actors, writers figured that out, how you can reveal character just by how they choose to be complicit with the audience when they break the fourth wall. Yeah. Um, so we get, we get all this stuff about Tom as well, about how he's failed and he's turned his failure paradoxically into a success around, uh, about the book uh, and the don't be a Jerry uh, moment who obviously we learn is the mayor as well. I think one of the great underrated characters in Parks and Rec who always makes me laugh is Purd. Um, because I just love the way he talks and over explains. And I love the fact that he calls his fans Purdverts as well. <laughs> I just think he's, he reminds me a little bit of, um, the the fast show the sketch show he feels yeah. like a character from the uh, the the the, the fast show um, but but of course we learn that Gary um, Gary Dash Jerry had an amazing life and that's the joke of his um, is that some people are just freaking charmed yeah and, you know? and some people are just happy with with what they have and he, and know? also he was the fact that the we talk about how the show's nice but the exception is how they all treat him. Yeah. Like even Amy Poehler's character is mean to him. It's like that. Yeah. Um, but he's so, it's almost as though they do that because they know he's impervious to it. Yeah. And it's almost like sport. They want to get through to him almost. Mm. It's, it's a really weird sort of dynamic to explain. I, I love the running gag throughout the series that Adam Scott's character can't get over how good looking Gary's wife is. Well, that they realised that Adam Scott can do exasperation incredibly well yeah. like all the stuff with um, little Sebastian yeah yeah he's really good at being well again it's the am I the only sane person here because yeah. he's an outsider with this donkey he, yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I think it was smart course, as well to, to bring in characters from outside Pawnee into the show yeah absolutely because that creates yeah. immediately 
uh, an audience surrogates, mm. which you, I think you need when you're in that. Because one of, one of the big influences, I would say, I don't, I've, I've never heard anyone say this, but it could be the case. I, I don't know. This isn't like Star Trek where I've watched Making Odds or anything like that. But I do feel that um, The Simpsons was a big influence on this show. Like the, the Springfield and Pawnee and the, the way that you've got this town and this, not just secondary characters, but third, fourth and fifth level characters. Mm. It feels like a very inhabited world and they've got their own brands and they've got their, their um, you know, the Sweetums factory in the same way that you've got the Duff Beer factory. It yeah. feels very designed in the same way that Springfield Do you know Pawnee, like, geographically is designed... On Christchurch, yeah, yeah, I'm saying that they actually yeah. they used the the the, um, the map, didn't yeah. they, as a as a basis for it? Yeah, I suppose you got to use you know you got to use something. Yeah. Uh, I love the the um, that when John Raffio has faked his own death, his um, funeral song is uh, Little John featuring Tiger. It's <laughs> 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 just some awful piece of shit <laughs> kind of. Uh, yeah. Um, then we got all the stuff with Ron. And we've got to mention as well that I think one of the MVPs of the show has to be um, Nick Offerman. Because, yeah, I mean, he was, a, he was a bit of a find. I mean, he was a yeah. guy, you know, a middle-aged actor who really hadn't had that much success. Uh, you know, auditioned for Wolverine Did he? in the X-Men. Nearly got it, you know, um, back in his more svelte days. <laughs> I, he's, think. I mean, he's just fantastic. And actually, if if you haven't seen The Last of Us, his his episode... In The Last of Us was insanely And good. there are elements of Ron Swanson in that character in mm. some ways. Oh, because, I mean, the thing is, Ron Swanson's a really interesting cultural character because I think he's a character that gets misinterpreted and has, yeah. be, has become quite misappropriated as well because I think people thought think that because he's kind of anti-government, he's mm. a libertarian, isn't he? Yeah. Um, uh, and because he's very much about the old ways and living off uh, the land and, you know, your handshake is your bond. I think a lot of people equate that to conservatism. Yeah. Um, but he, he, but he, that's not the case. He's beyond yeah. all of that. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's uh, a lot of people who idolize Ron Swanson have kind of learned the wrong lessons. Yeah. You know, and I've seen Nick Offerman talk about this, about mm. how sometimes people will come up to him and, you know, be talking about how, you know, like kind of almost like NRA kind of types. Yeah. And he's just like, you know, thank you for watching the show, but, you know, I don't think you've quite got, got what's yeah. going on here. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's interesting because in The Last of Us, he plays a, a sort of essentially a survivalist mm. who, you know, obviously is a, a repressed homosexual as well, or at least... It's not um, obviously. Um, it's, you know, well, not obviously if you haven't seen it. Yeah, well, that, well, that's what I'm saying. If you have yeah. seen it, obviously oh, right. his character, you know, you've you've seen that he's lived alone, he's lived his life, and there's a complexity mm. to his character that's come from the fact that he's not figured out these sort of things, uh, or maybe he's, he's figured just, it out, but he's yeah. never acted on or, it. Or it might yeah. even just be that he's such a solitary figure, he's never even explored any no. kind of relationships. But there's a, there's a chicken and egg thing going on there. Yeah. Um, but I think that one of the things that Nick Offerman does really well is there's a bringing really subtle vulnerability to characters because mm. there is a vulnerability to Ron Swanson. Yeah, of course there um, is. And I think that, and it was funny because I saw um, the, I can't remember I saw this, it was just like a soundbite on the internet that the showrunner of The Last of Us said that Vince Gilligan, 
the showrunner on um, Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad, mm. suggested Nick Offerman to them for the role of um, Bill. Bill's his yes. character, I think. Yeah. Um, and he said because, and he said that it was the same logic that he used when he cast um, Walter White. You right. know, obviously he was a comedic actor. You know, mm. Malcolm in the Middle was his thing. Yeah. And also Bob Odenkirk, and he said that there's something about comedians. He said there's a soulfulness to comedians because they have such an understanding of the human condition and having to be on stage and affecting audiences in person and being able to work a room that you really get something from them and um i think that that you can see that you can see that in the last of us and you can see that in his performance here like the fact that he doesn't like when the scene when he's talking about how he feels useless and the thing about somebody like ron is he's a guy who he's like your dad yeah. He's somebody who is a fixer. He's a jack of all trades. Mm. And if he hasn't got something to fix, like he, he's got this company, but he's done the job. He's, he's, he's built the chair, yeah. you know, metaphorically. It's, it's making profit or that there's no challenge. It's meaningless. Yeah. So he's basically having an existential crisis. And the way that um, he kind of asks for help, mm. which is something that his character probably hates having to do, and the way well, that and he's been bad at it in the past. Yeah. Uh, and and the way that he plays that is just a wonderful piece of acting. And also credit to Amy Poehler, the way that she plays teasing it out. Because the thing is, and, and it's easy to forget Amy Poehler in all of this, because but she has created a really iconic character. Yeah. You know, 100%. this idea of be a Leslie Nope. Yeah. You know, and we know what that means. Yeah. And we've talked before about how friends you know, create, you know, could I be anymore and Mm. going commando and all of Mm. these things. I feel like Parks and Rec's done that as well, like, you know, Galentine's Day. Yes, but it'll never be Galentine's Day for me because it's my fucking birthday. (laughs) But, you know, but I do feel that it's, and and, and when, you know, when the Firefest thing happened, people were like, oh, that's like entertainment. um, 720. 720, you know. It's become... I mean, Parks and Rec was never as big as The Office. It was never as big as Friends. It was always a popular cult show. But I feel like it has still... There are still people discovering it, and I think that it has seeped into the public consciousness. Mm. Um, If anyone hasn't seen a lot of Parks and Rec, you should have a look at episode 13 of season three, which is called The Fight. It has got the best... Oh, is that the dr- snake juice one? Snake or? juice, yeah. It's got the best drunk acting Yeah, I think I've ever seen. It's so good. But it's, there's I several it. bits of it. I, I think the bit where, where they're arguing in the toilet yeah. is really... And the bit where they're aggressively dancing at each other, <laughs> that just feels like it's like, oh, I've John seen Ralphio, that. John Ralphio, that's a It's my favourite episode. Yeah, that is, that is a great one. And... Um, so yeah, so he resigns as the chairman, and he, he and I say he learns to be vulnerable because he's feeling useless, and he gets given a national park. And I love the moment where he meets the staff, and he basically just talks about how okay, you know, if you're honest and if you turn up, you'll do that. And mm. I love the fact that they've got like Willie Nelson um, playing when he's and out on the. He built that canoe. Oh, did he? Yeah. Well, it was funny because I remember I was watching some YouTube videos of Nick Offerman doing the, um, you know, his woodwork. You know, that's. Yeah. Uh, it's difficult to know where uh, Swanson ends and uh, Offerman begins, begins, really, isn't it? Yeah. You know, um, 
Well, and his wife was in the show as Tammy, the yeah. librarian yeah. as well. Yeah. And um, so we get Leslie in bed. Uh, obviously, their big storyline is around the whole governorship. Yeah. Uh, we get- and, and there's the implication in there that, that one of them becomes a president, presumably Leslie. Yeah, yeah. And I'm glad the show doesn't go to, go to there. No, you know? yeah. And, uh, and I'm, I, I'm I'm glad that the show doesn't explicitly state which one it is because it yeah. could be either of yeah. them. Yeah, and we got we got Joe Biden here as well, of yep. course, which is taking on a whole new meaning now. Yeah. Um. So they both they both get pitched the idea of being the governor of Indiana. Uh, we get the 2025 reunion um, at the office and we get the, you know, Rashida Jones and Rob Lowe characters who haven't been in the show for a season or so uh, return. Um, and this is where Ben says, look, you know, and the thing for him is he's thinking of the little girl, mm. you know, that she was yeah, and how um, she wants it more, mm. ultimately. Yeah, and I think uh, I was just about to say the same thing. I think he comes to the realisation that she's never going to admit it, but she wants it more. Well, and also, she has done so much. At the reunion, because you see him looking around, mm-hmm. and it's almost as if his thought process is, look at all she's done for all of these people. Yeah. You know, they all have better lives because of knowing her. Mm-hmm. So let's, you know, yeah. it's her turn. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, so there's a nice little karma thing going on there. Um and then we get the speech, this kind of ode to work and people and the importance of community. And Ron finishes fixing the swing and the guy doesn't appreciate it. And I love the way that when he walks away, he's like, okay. This is like, yeah, that's about right. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's the, yeah. the, 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 the reality of being a public servant. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, is that the public can be a bit douchey. Um, and, um, and yeah, and then we basically finish up. So have you got any final thoughts about this, Hannah? Just that if you haven't watched this series, then what the hell are you waiting for? It's so rewatchable as well. It is. It is so rewatchable. And uh, you can really dip in and out um, quite easily. And like a lot of shows, there are a cluster of episodes that are clear highlights. Yeah. uh, Often related to the relationships uh, in the show. But what I will say is there's loads of episodes that are simply really, really good as well. Yeah. It's not like shows where there's a, load, a bunch of amazing episodes and then there's a really big drop-off, mm. you know? Yeah, no, I fully agree. Cool. Okay, well, um, that's us for now. We will be back um, soon with the first episode of the next season of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Would you like to tell us what that is, Hannah? Indeed. It is called The New Deal, Season 7, Episode 1. Coulson and Agents are thrust backwards in time and stranded in 1931 New York City with an all-new Zephyr set to time jump at any moment. The team must hurry to find out exactly what happened. Alrighty. It is directed by Kevin Tancheron and written by George Kitson. Excellent stuff. We shall look forward to that. Um, so that's us for now, guys. A quick reminder that we appreciate feedback at rewatchpodcast at gmod.com and reviews on Apple Podcast and on uh, Spotify. Spotify. I also appreciate it. But for now, that is us, and we will see you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.